I pray for myself. I pray for every single person here that we would open ourselves afresh to your holy presence, Lord. Just really aware that sometimes we can do Christianity in our own strength and we attempt to do Christianity sometimes a little bit removed from God's presence. It's not possible he's present everywhere but that's how we try and do our faith and I pray this evening, I don't know, um, we're all in different places but the Lord's looking for open hearts, soft hearts, willing spirits, those who will acknowledge him as their Lord, those of us that will just trust him. Lord, when it comes to your spirit, we recognize that There's just so much more of you and your holiness that we can experience. So I pray as I speak, Lord, you would help us not to be fearful of that. And because you are love, we can trust you. So help us, Lord. Amen. I get to... um, speak this evening on God's holy presence and and for some of us that's just a wonderful thing how exciting to speak about something like that and I just already know that I can't do it justice but when we talk about um, God's holiness and his presence that can sort of be a little bit of a scary thing as well and uh, and um, somehow we want to sort of protect ourselves from getting too deeply involved with God. The presence thing's probably all right, but the holiness thing's a little bit awkward because when we sort of measure ourselves up against God's holiness, sometimes we see ourselves in a slightly different light, but it's a light where God loves us completely. He doesn't judge us. In 1 Peter, it talks in verse 16, 1 Peter 1, that we're to be holy as God is holy. I think the important thing for you and I to know is it's God's holiness at work within us, but we give him, I suppose, more or less license sometimes to do what he has set out to do. God's manifest presence should convict us from time to time. God's manifest presence protects us. God assures us. God chooses to be with us. He guides us. He promises to transform us with his love. He equips us with gifts of service. And he fills us with power from on high to do his work. Out of that list, and I think they're all true, about the work of God's Holy Spirit, which are the ones that you want to sign up for? I try and do my Christianity in a way, on a good day, that signs up for it all. 
When we encounter God and his holy presence, it should fill us with joy. Psalm 16, verse 11, being in God's presence is the fullness of joy. It should provoke us to want to respond to him with thanksgiving. Psalm 95, verse 2. And maybe even as we've been doing already in Psalm 100 with joyful songs, that's all right. That's the sort of thing that should happen when we enter into God's presence. Hebrews 10.22, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What an invitation to draw near to a holy God that doesn't push us away, but works with us from where we are into what he would have us be. The problem with the Corinthian church, we had the reading from Corinthians, is that they were a really, really gifted bunch, um, but um, they were a little bit off track from time to time, a little bit contaminated um, by maybe the world that they'd got out. And um, I don't know, this is probably not a very good saying, but um, uh, it was very difficult to take the Corinth out of the Corinthians and replace the Corinthians with the goodness and the godness that I think needs to go together um, with the work of the Holy Spirit. But the fact is that they were... um, filled with the Holy Spirit and God's holiness, but actually they didn't live always like that. They had loads and loads of gifts, manifestations of the Spirit, but um, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that these were all for nothing if they didn't operate with love. So you can be the most gifted human being there is and the most gifted Christian, but unless we learn to operate in God's love, it's just a waste of space and we're like clanging gongs and clashing cymbals, Corinthians tells us. When they spoke out in front of non-believers, they were being encouraged to speak with intelligible words. Some of them were probably showing off a little bit and I commend the gift of tongues, but... Paul would rather that they spoke intelligible words rather than babble, which is um, a prayer language, uh, the gift of tongues. But when people are there and they don't really understand, uh, that wasn't at all helpful and they'd be encouraged to conduct themselves um, with decency and order. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 14. So to our passage, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1. Now about spiritual gifts... I don't want you to be ignorant. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were led astray by mute idols. Now, would anyone in the congregation here, this is a bit of a risky one, describe themselves as a pagan? You don't have to put your hand up. Is anyone in the congregation here ever self-identified as a pagan? What do we mean when we identify as a pagan? It's sort of got quite a broad meaning. I go to um, a place to swim uh, occasionally, not been at all this week, and uh, someone there who's in charge, 
hope he wouldn't mind me saying this, but he introduced himself and he realised I was a vicar as a pagan. Oh, that's very interesting. What do you expect me to say, a pagan? And he, I worship mammon. And he was, he's a lovely, lovely, lovely guy. But I was just a little bit confused what he was describing himself as. Cause so I rush off and I start doing a little bit of research. And it can mean all sorts of different things, being a pagan, I understand. Hard to pin down. Um, it's, maybe it's a broad term that is used sometimes to describe non-Christians. Maybe it's about worshipping Mother Earth or dabbling in witchcraft or idol worship. Um, whatever it is, if you're into that, please don't do it. It's not very good for your eternal salvation. Anyway, Corinth had um, a couple of pagan temples to Apollo and uh, Aphrodite. And um, paganism then, and I'm not making any judgments on any pagans that might be present here this evening, but for them it meant um, that uh, they were probably into all sorts of vice and immorality. Corinth was a den of iniquity. Um, The trouble is that Corinth is sometimes, and it was an incredibly gifted church, um, has sometimes been used as an excuse for the church, sort of um, throughout the ages, to maybe avoid some of the spiritual gifts and spiritual stuff because it went awry there. And we can probably think of examples within many of our own experience where things got a little bit wacky because they were unregulated um, in the right sort of way. People weren't operating in love within charismatic churches. And as a result, because of some of the bad things that happen, what happens is we sort of shut down and we play safe and remove ourselves from that sort of stuff. And that's not the answer, in my opinion, but I can see how we can get there. I'd like to encourage us to ask for absolutely everything the Lord wants to give us. And that will include both his spiritual gifts and the fruits of the Spirit. We need some check and balances. And one of the checks and balances that's suggested in 1 Corinthians 12, um, if you're following there, for I want you to know that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It should be impossible and really, 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 really hard to blaspheme if you're a Christian and you have the Spirit of God. Before I was a practicing Christian, I wasn't into blasphemy, so I didn't do that very often. That sort of felt a little bit awkward, but maybe because I've been brought up in a Christian family. But I could actually swear like a trooper. Um, There's probably some other experts in the room, but when I recognised that Jesus was Lord, and I've had a few slip-ups over the years when I couldn't quite find the right words to express exactly how I was feeling, but on the whole, some other people have that problem as well, Um, on the whole, if we have the Spirit of God, we don't blaspheme And we don't come out with unnecessary expletives because God convicts us about these things and he tries to change us. And if that is an issue or a problem, that's something the law really wants to help us with. So um, it's difficult to blaspheme. And that was one of the tests. 
So there was probably people in the Corinthian church that were wonderful orators, but if they had the spirit of the living God living within them, they wouldn't be doing some of the appalling things that have been recorded about them. But even for folks that have the spirit of God, know this, we've all got the capacity to mess up big time. And if we are, there is a way back. God will give us a second chance, but it's not acceptable to be doing behaviours that are not honouring to him. When they said Jesus is Lord, it meant he was the boss of their whole lives. Jesus was greater than Caesar, greater than any of the other deities. I wonder whether it's helpful just to say a little bit about um, my journey and experience of encountering God's presence and encountering God's holy presence. That was not something that I was queuing up to do for most of my life. I was trying to keep God at a distance. And... um, but slightly conflicted because I wanted to believe in a God that did stuff. I wanted to believe in a God that I could relate to. But I wasn't sure that I wanted to believe in God because I might have to change. So it's all that sort of stuff going on. And when we get the Spirit of God in our lives, I sort of, it, it should make a bit of a difference. It should change us. And I think, um, I suppose my experience of the Spirit of God and his presence probably happened at touchstones all the way through my life, but I was really, really good at keeping God at bay. But when it came to the point that I gave my whole self to him, for me, and it's maybe not the same for lots of you, but that was a very physical thing, knowing that God was particularly present at that moment. It was a holy holy moment where you just knew that something was going on within as I've already sort of hinted uh, the swearing did stop quite soon after that but I couldn't conceive of being a Christian and just sort of dipping in and having a little bit of this and a little bit of that if I was to give my life to God I wanted everything that he gave me because I knew enough about Christianity to know that it was a really tough thing to lead our Christian lives without being aware of God's presence and without, uh, without his gifts um, to help us on the way. It's just going to be a really, really tough assignment. So um, I was quite greedy when it came to asking for God and his gifts. And that was quite immature at the time. And I'll come on to maybe... Um, why that's immature and why we're not to use these things in isolation. Um, many years on, um, after I'd become a vicar, um, I suppose one of my passions is that folks would come and meet with Jesus, that they give their lives to him. But I don't want people doing Christianity without all the resources of heaven that's at their disposal as well. So I sort of encourage people to ask God to fill them with God's Holy Spirit, his holy presence, and to not be embarrassed to do that. I didn't know this evening, I went to, that I went to a church in Chipstead, I didn't know that two of the people who worshipped that church would be 
in the congregation this evening. And they are. And they can maybe verify some of this. So I was a rector in Chipstead. Um, it was a, it's an amazing little church. So I would say this is in grade one listed church, very, very picturesque setting. But I was told when I came by my colleague that they did the Alpha course and um, they did Alpha Light. And um, I think what the person meant, have you heard me say this before? Okay, because I get a bit boring with some of my stories. But doing Alpha Light was sort of doing Alpha, I thought, without the Holy Spirit away day. Is that fair to say? Um, so, um, well, I thought this is no way to be doing Alpha <laughs> or Christianity. So I just encourage one or two people to dare to ask God to fill them. And we had a church warden at the time who was desperate for the gift of tongues and she decided to go off into the quietness of her own room and God filled her with a spirit and she got the gift of tongues. And I think she came and shared it in the office or somewhere with you, didn't she, Jenny? How did that make you feel that God would bless the church warden and not you? So, but that was one thing. Can you imagine if that happens? It doesn't happen to everyone like this, so I'm just saying that just get it out there. You don't have to speak in tongues to be a Christian. God, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. Jenny was a Christian, but she just wanted a bit more of what God had to offer her. And then you had a husband, that was another story, a little bit awkward. Nigel used to come to New Wine with us with his golf clubs, didn't you, Nigel? (laughs) But God got in his case too, as he did with quite a lot of other people as well. And that's sort of been my experience of opening ourselves up to sort of God's holy presence. And we can't do anything It doesn't make us better people than anyone else, but it does give us a real encouragement. And with the gift of tongues, it's like a prayer language when I sort of come to the end of myself. If you just don't have the words to be able to pray stuff, then that could be quite handy if God gave us the words to pray in accordance with his will. For me... And for all of us, I don't think that our connection with God or being filled with the Spirit is a, um, a once-for-a-lifetime thing. Yes, we get the Spirit when we first come to faith, but I think we're encouraged in Scripture to go on asking and asking again. 
If I was to think that I've had all of God that there is to receive, I'm frankly quite deluded because God's just a little bit bigger than me and his grace is a lot bigger than any of us uh, could drain or uh, exhaust. But the key thing around this sort of stuff is that um, as a young Christian, maybe I was, and maybe I still am a little bit, but you can be a bit self-focused. So it's about getting the gifts and not about getting the gifts in order to compare. We're given the gifts of the Spirit for the common good and they're meant to be used within community. And where folks have gone a little bit wrong in the past, it just becomes like a badge of office and comparison we fall into sin. If we get given the gifts of spirit for the common good to serve God's purposes and we realise that we do it together and there's no one better gift than another or no Christian that's more superior than another, then that's the safe way of doing it. God's a creative God and there's rich variety in how he chooses to grace us, to bless us. Uh, He encourages unity and diversity. And we're sort of given a bit of a Trinitarian example. It's not the Trinity, but Father, Son and Holy Spirit are are mentioned. If you look at verse 4, we're given different gifts, but the same Spirit. We're given different ways of serving, doing ministry, but the same Lord. Verse 6, there's different ways of working this stuff out, but it's the same God who works uh, through all. Verse 7, underline this, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And if you were reading on further in 1 Corinthians 12, we'll read about one Spirit, one baptism, one body. Unity is really, really important. In the Corinthian church, there seems to have been a sin of self-advancement and comparison. Without love for God and his church, there won't be any unity. There'll be minimum amount of fruit. The manifestations of the Spirit are many and varied. And in this, this is not an exhaustive list, but I'll read the ones uh, in the passage that we've had from um, verses 7 to 10 of 1 Corinthians 12. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues and you read elsewhere you can read about helps administration encouragement evangelism etc i don't know whether there's a exact limit to amount of gifts that the lord would give but he does give them for his glory and for the common good and i think it's acceptable and scripture encourages us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts and in the section that that was um, quoted I think it talks about asking for the gift of prophecy a few questions to close why would we attempt to do God's work without God's gift why would we attempt to do God's work without God's graces if you like Why would we use God's gifts in isolation when he's called us to operate as part of his body, a team? Why would we not give credit to God, the giver of the gift, and look to maybe take credit ourselves? I've been schooled, uh, I don't know 
whether we're able to find a biblical verse. Those of you more schooled in your Bibles than me, but I've got this notion that if we, I think it works with talents, but if you don't lose, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. That's not heretical, is it? That's sort of a principle in life, really, and we're called to use the God-given graces and gifts for his glory. And I think as you do, we grow in our ability to be able to do this in a mature and an edifying way. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. If you want to serve God's purposes with others for God's glory, ask and keep on asking. Let's pray.